What are your writing dreams? Finishing that book, quitting the day job, becoming a best-selling author? Well, over four years, we've studied the advice of over 300 best-selling authors who've collectively sold over half a billion books. And we are excited to announce the Best Seller Academy. If you're ready to take your writing to the next level with accountability, craft, and coaching, your bestseller dreams are now only a click away. To find out more and apply, visit bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. That's bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash academy. Let's run the show. Hello and welcome to the Bestseller Experiment, where we continue to discover what makes a bestseller and inspire you to start, finish and publish your book. I'm Mark DeVoe. And I am Mark Stay. And a big thank you, as always, to our wonderful supporters, both on Patreon and in the Bestseller Academy. Without you good, lovely, warm, gentle, big-hearted, lovely, lovely people, that's three lovelies, uh, we simply could not keep this podcast going. Uh, and if you want to support the podcast, just pop over to bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. And we have one more Patreon to pipe aboard. Uh, make room, ladies and gentlemen, for Tajay Maunez. Tajay, welcome aboard and welcome, welcome. Join all the other delightful people over on Patreon, getting deep dives and extra stuff and all sorts of groovy fun stuff. So do check it out. Brilliant stuff. And we do, we, we are slightly biased, Mark, aren't we? But we do have the most awesome writing community in the world really oh, it's i mean scientifically official. proven mr it d I, I can yeah. prove it with an etch-a-sketch and connect four it's uh <laughs> very very easily done simon says told me so so yeah that's a speak and spell yeah i yeah. miss the etch-a-sketch i haven't had one of those in ages and i must admit i was never uh, despite some of the incredible things I know that you can probably do with it, I was always completely rubbish at it. I just couldn't oh, get. Look, look, you're not on your own there. Let's be honest. <laughs> Etch a sketch. A lot of the a lot of the childhood toys of our, you know, in the 70s and 80s when we grew up. Let's be honest, they were rubbish. Simon <laughs> says, "Blit, blit, blit, blit." I mean, how, you know, Simon you're not says was get great though. I I played. Mm. I I had got a big one for Christmas. <laughs> The big one with the big four, and I, I that I played that so much, and I tell you what, there are a couple of other ones that were like the best best Christmas toy I ever had. As we're moving into this, best Christmas toy I ever had was <laughs> Evil Knievel. Did you ever have one of those, Mark? Already <gasps> yes. with the race. Yes, 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 Did yes, you yes, have yes. One? yeah, the yeah, most yeah, totally awesome. I and of course, uh, being a great big man baby, I got one in my 40s as well. So there is, there no, is one around really? the house. Yeah, yeah, I've oh, still got one. Yeah, it's amazing. You could yeah. torment your pets with that thing, couldn't you? And then off it goes, I'm, whoosh. I'm curious. I'm curious. Oh, I wish we did a podcast on like Christmas present nostalgias. We should maybe just dedicate, maybe we'll just dedicate a whole Christmas episode to we like toys that. that we, we got as kids yeah, and yeah, somehow yeah. link it to writing. Like I'm sure mix in a few that. of our favorite kids' books. But <laughs> I would love to do that because, oh man, the Christmas, Chris, the Argos catalogue, or over here it's the uh, Sears catalogue. That's the apparently the equivalent, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, uh, oh my gosh, all kinds of stories. But Mark, how are you? <laughs> Christmas um, toys aside, how are you? How are you this week? Are you well? I'm, I'm I'm very good. Self isolation is over. I'm out roaming the streets. Uh, you know, uh, with terrorising the neighbourhood. Exactly. <laughs> I, I went to Wardstown's Canterbury. I signed some books there, which was a lovely, lovely oh, author moment, uh, which was nice. So that was great. Um, although, interestingly, 
my local local Waterstones only got their stock today, like two weeks after publication. Well, obviously, there's probably been such a run on the books, right? I mean, they've probably been at the back <laughs> of the queue. It's probably they've probably been stuck. They've probably been stuck on those those crates coming from. You heard about those ships that stuck as <laughs> the supply. You're the your possibly your book could possibly be the reason of this worldwide economic slump. Yeah, it's all me. Um, no, well, uh, I mean, partly because we've got a shortage of HGV drivers in the UK and right. all the paper. I was talking to a friend of mine who works for a publisher and there's no paper shortage, but all the paper's in the wrong place. And yes. there's there, But there is a cardboard shortage. So if you've got a hardcover coming out. So she was saying things like, if you want to get a book for Christmas, buy it now. Because if it goes out, if it goes into reprint, the reprints might not arrive till January. So in all seriousness, grab a grab 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 that book right now. Don't don't think twice about it. I mean, I, we, I don't need any persuasion. Don't we live? Me. Don't we live in peculiar times, Mister Stay? Like as I step oh, yeah. back and look at what's <laughs> happening. I mean, I'm fascinated. I studied economics at, at university and got into the whole macro worldview of things and looking at all the supply chain issues right now. I mean, you know. Um, and inflation going up and there's so many crazy things and yet the pen still works right mm. that is one of the beautiful things about <laughs> writing is like the pandemic people kept writing do you like the segue there into that because you're probably thinking where's he bloody Very going macroeconomics but, but it's i think in this moment it's a really important thing to be grateful for that i mean there are many many people as well probably quite a few people listen to this podcast and our hearts are with you if you if it's you're one of these but you know your lives your livelihoods, your businesses, they may be disrupted right now. Um, and yet the ink still keeps running. And so like all the way through the pandemic, all the craziness, the toilet roll dramas, and, and yet the pen kept running. And we can always, it's always an outlet. And even if the lights go out, folks, which I hope they don't, but if they do go out, the pen will keep, we can still write books and pass our notepads <laughs> to people. Right? I mean, I'm not trying to paint a too bad a picture, but that's the point of writing. It's like being grateful for the fact that no matter what happens, we can still write about what happens and work through it in whatever ways we need to. So yeah, I mean, writing is bloody awesome. It is, isn't it really? When you step back and look at it. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I, I will need light because I tend to, I'm writing now, uh, when it's dark in the morning, so I do need a light on. But um, yeah, I'm I'm in a I'm in an odd space at the moment because I've finished a book. I'm waiting for feedback from beta readers. So to keep myself busy, I've been working on a, a short story and getting really caught up in the research. It's a, it's a Woodville short story, which is going to go up to people on my newsletter. But it's set in 54 BC when Julius Caesar invaded Kent for the what? second time. Yeah, because it's, it's blowing my mind that 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 just reading up on the history, it's like oh. That happened here. And it's blowing my mind that Julius Caesar might himself have traipsed through where our front room is at some point, you know, with an elephant. Yeah. They had armoured elephants. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's amazing. i tell you what, I, I hope, can you imagine if it was like Quantum Leap or something and you're sitting there writing your short story and you look out the window <laughs> and there's Julius Caesar on an elephant. Brilliant. Yeah. God, that's amazing. Yeah. I never knew that. Do you know, I had the same kind of experience. Mark. I used to live in Cambridge in England. Big shout out to everyone in Cambridge. Lived there for 15 <laughs> years. And I must admit, one of my favourite things, Mark, was going into Cambridge City and, mm. you know, fighting off the tourists and the students on their crazy bikes. But I would disappear off down some side cobbled roads and it was literally, and anyone who's been to Cambridge will know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, if you yeah, haven't yeah. been, try it out. Go down some of those quiet back roads and you're walking down these cobbled streets and you feel like you have literally 
like gone back 400 years. And I had that exact feeling of like, do you know what? Who of all the incredible people in the world that have changed world history, like how many of them have actually, you know, am I I following their, literally following their footsteps? And it's a really, it's a really powerful thing. And we've talked a lot about the, you know, the value of sometimes visiting a place that you're writing about that maybe you're not familiar with, but there is something about kind of, you know, soaking up the history by osmosis, by being in that space. And um, so, yeah, it is fascinating to think. And maybe Julius Caesar was, you know, running around your garden at some point. Or, well, this, or this is the, of I, armies and I, things. I did an interview for um, uh, a local uh, magazine um, a few weeks ago. And it's the, th- I, the thing I said to them was that moving here four years ago, you you do really feel the history all around you in a way that I didn't in Surrey. Surrey's very suburban, very built up, but around here, there are still pillboxes from the war. You know, there's there's still remnants of the war all laying about here. And there is a Roman wall just up the road here. You know, there's uh, wow. there's the Ricolva Towers, you know. Yeah. It's it's just so inspiring just going for a walk around here. You know, I'm very, very lucky. Very, very lucky. It's um definitely fires fires me up. We have an amazing, amazing interview for you today by a someone who's come back. We, we keep yes. getting a lot of lot of return visitors. The return leg, the what <laughs> happened next stories. Um, so, Mark, tell us about our amazing guest today, Sasha Green. Yes, we welcome Sasha Green back to the podcast. She's the author of Something Like Happy, and she previously spoke to us on episode two hundred and three, which is a deep dive, a deep dive on everyday bravery which i do urge you to check out and i'll put a link in the show notes to that as well but sasha has a new book out called trust and it's a novel that explores ptsd sexual assault coercive control which are not subjects to be written about lightly but having spoken to sasha previously i know she has that everyday bravery to explore such challenging themes so we discuss how researching with an open mind can surprise both you the writer and your readers just how much grief can you put your characters through before you lose the reader? And why Sasha has switched from traditional publishing to indie. Awesome stuff. Let's dive in and listen to the wonderful Sasha Green talking with Mr. Stay. Sasha Green, welcome back to the bestseller experiment. How are you today? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. We're very excited to have you back. Now, listeners, uh, long-term listeners will know that Sasha joined us before. She did a deep dive uh, when her previous book, Something Like Happy, came out, and we were talking about everyday bravery, um, and that's a cracking episode. I'll put a link in the show notes. Do please uh, do please dig that out. Um, but Sasha has a new book, a brand new novel, um, Trust, uh, which is a gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous cover. And the shout line is, when someone else tells a different story, how can you be believed? Sasha, tell us about Trust and and where it came from. Um, It came from, I read an article back in 2013 about the prevalence of sexual harassment in the workplace and sort of started thinking about that. and, And then obviously all the Me Too stuff came out not long after that and it actually, um, you know, I was hoping that these sort of stories would be redundant, but I think recent events have shown that they're just as needed as ever. Um, but it basically, it explores this issue that, that a lot of people discuss, that when you, you know, p- someone can show two different faces to two different people, you know, and when when you've got this this issue of trust, you know, who are you going to believe, you know, if you've got two people that you love? Um so yeah, that that's quite a key theme in the book. 
And you're covering subjects like uh, PTSD. There's a there's a soldier in in the book. There's sexual assault. There's there's coercive control. The any any one of these on their own, I think, would be a challenge for any writer. Uh, here you're dealing with you know a, a trio of them at, at the very least. What sort of due diligence do you do as an author when looking into subjects like these? I think first of all, loads of research. You know, read lots of research about stuff and you know news articles talk to a lot of people who'd had these kind of experiences um and it's quite easy to find them unfortunately because there are so many people who've experienced it um so yeah I think first of all lots of research and then also um from a professional point of view sensitivity readers are very important um I had a couple in the book for for mental health and and also um, um, the some of the other issues in the book. You say they're easy to find, which is sadly probably very, very true. But how do you get someone to talk about something like that in a way? Because the the book's called Trust, and and as an author, you know you don't. Well, as as someone who may have been through something terrible like this. You you need to reassure them that they're not necessarily going to be exploited in any way. How do you how do you earn their trust? How do you get someone to open up up about such such life changing uh, topics? Um, I think I mean I've benefited from the fact there's a lot of people um, who post stuff about their experiences on the internet, so that's very easy to to tap into and and a lot of them are you know once they once they know that you're you're coming at it from a sensitive point of view and not a sort of exploitative point of view. They are quite willing to talk. And um, and then also, I mean, unfortunately, friends, colleagues, you know, there's there's been people, you know, I I do try and be there for people. So, you know, there's mm. been people I've known in my my own life that that have had those kind of experiences, unfortunately, as well. So just in terms of casual conversations about what's been going on and and that kind of stuff that's also but then yeah like you say it's it's I've been quite careful that you know then you're like well if you put it into a book will they recognize themselves in there and mm. and and I've been very careful that the the story in the book it's an amalgam of sort of generic experiences I didn't want anyone to sort of look at that book and say yes that's my story although I would hope that because it, it is quite widespread and because so many people have been through these things that they 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 will see something of themselves in that book. You know, they will identify with that character. Or, you know, they will have a friend who who ident- who they know will identify with that character because because it's it's one of these stories that we don't talk about enough. And that's really why I wanted to publish the book, because you know, having Having somebody who's, you know, it's it's a quite oft sort of cited, especially in romance. You know, people say, oh, well, you know, romance readers don't want trauma in their books. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably true for the majority of romance readers, you know, because it is escapism. And But then if we don't actually tell these stories, you know, it, it's sort of like saying, well, are these people not worthy of love if they don't find their way into romance novels? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, there's also these kind of things as well, these, these sort of issues. So, yeah, it is a bit of a minefield. And I hope that it's one that I've managed to navigate in a in a reasonable way, you know. But only only the readers will be a judge of that, I guess. Were there any 
big surprises. I mean, this is one of the things I find when doing any kind of research or interviewing people or, or talking to you know editors and readers and sensitivity readers. Was there anything that that genuinely made you think, oh, okay, this this could change the course of the story, or, or this is something I hadn't considered? Um, I'm just trying to think. I think it's sort of you know like how much. Well, I mean, obviously, there's a. I don't want to give too many spoilers away for the book, but you know, there's a big plot twist um, in the middle, and things don't go too well for the two main characters, and and there is a bit of betrayal going on, and then it's like, well, finding that level of how much is, are people willing to forgive? You know, how much is acceptable for 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 people to to actually, um, you know, to have this character go through. Um, and I think, I think I found it's possible to take your, if providing you have believable characters, it's possible to take your characters through quite some depths of despair, and your readers will still come with you. But then, if if you haven't got them, you know, if they're not sort of with you on that journey, then then they won't actually, you know, they'll be like, oh, this isn't realistic, or you know. Um, so I think that that was sort of a surprise, like how much finding out exactly how much you can take your characters through before before people give up on them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I, this is one of the, the rewarding things of being a writer is if you go in with an open mind, particularly with subjects like this, which, you know, can be really, really difficult to, to imagine, you know, if someone's gone through this, if you go in with an open mind, you can be completely surprised by the experiences of others and that can really inform your writing, can't it? Yeah, and I think also, you know, one of the things that surprised, I mean, it surprised me at first when I started doing research into mental health, because obviously that's also a big thing in my previous books, something like Happy. But, you know, people think that if you're depressed, you can't get out of bed. You know, if, you're, if you've are if you been through all this stuff, you're going to be sort of shaking in a corner. And, and I think that was one of the things that really, you know, was surprising for me, and I think is still surprising for a lot of people. There, there are people walking around living what seem like perfectly normal lives mm -hmm. but dealing with all this stuff underneath mm -hmm. you know and that's what I want to do with my characters you know they are you know they've got jobs they they they're walking around you know they, they're on the on the surface they seem just like you know people who have their their stuff together but underneath they're dealing with all this stuff and and that's a very realistic thing but it yeah it was also very surprising for me when I first started doing my research you, your previous book uh, was traditionally published. This time round, you've gone indie. Um, what? Why? Why did you make that particular choice with with trust? I think um, basically, you know, it's it's fascinating sort of talking to people about publishing and you know querying books and pitching and and a lot of people think that when you, you when you've got a book and then you send it off to publishers, it's Honestly, offering up your book baby on the altar of publishing sacrifice, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it, in a way, it's it's not. It's it's a you know you've got a product and you're pitching that product to someone, you know. And it's about deciding like who's the best person to take this forward. You know, it's a bit like do you actually get someone to invest in your idea or do you start up your own business? And I thought a lot. You know, I was getting a lot of. Um, reactions from people. Oh, I love this story. You know, editors and agents. I love this story, but I don't think there's a, we've got a market for it. You know, because every publisher has their own market, and 
you know, and I was just like, well, if you love it, but your market's not right, maybe I need to pitch to another market. And it was sort of like, well, you know, there's always small indie presses that do a bit more niche stuff. And But then it, for me, it came down to who is the best person to advocate for this book and decide how it goes forward. And I wanted to go and do with this because it gave me total control over what, mm. you know, where it went. And because there were quite a few people who were like, oh, I love your writing, but can you just change this? And I was like, well, no, because then it will be a different story. Like that's that's a perfectly writable story. You know, that would be something. But actually, I want this story to be like this, you know, and because it's very important for me that it is like this. Um, so there, that was the main reason because, you know, and it, it also helped having been traditionally published um, because I, I, you know, going through that process once, you know, I had some confidence in what the standard should be like. You know, once you've been right. through that once, you know, yes. you know what's involved, what sort of, and, and it gave me the confidence to say, well, if this book is as good or better than the one I've done before, then I can have confidence that I've got a good product. You know, I was starting out publishing my first book. I, I had no idea, you know, it's, it was, it was a total mystery. <laughs> so it's been great to go through that process once with a book being traditionally published, seeing what goes into the process. And then I could then use those lessons to actually go and, and, you know, hire my own editors and, and um, sensitivity readers and all the things that needed doing with the confidence. Yes. You know, I know what a good product should be like. It's, um, what were the big surprises in the process? So you said you, you talked about hiring editors and sensitivity readers. Had you done any kind of self-publishing before? Or was it all completely new to you? No, it was all completely new. Although I have to say, listening to the bestseller experiment, I don't <laughs> think without the podcast, I would have had the courage because there's just so much, you know, tips and people sharing their experiences and and all that was incredibly useful. So I mean, I've been listening to it for the last three, 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 three ish years. Um, Don't worry, so, there's you know, therapy available. Up, <laughs> 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 picking up that information on a weekly basis, you know, it's been incredibly useful because it also, when you, it's a bit like when you listen to people saying, oh, well, I've done it and this is how I've done yeah. it. Having all that knowledge is in, incredibly valuable and, you know, getting context through, um, you know, I, I found quite a lot of context through the Romantic Novelist Association, for mm. example. So, you know, belonging to an industry association, whatever form that is, is also incredibly useful. Um, so, no, it, it's been incredibly helpful. How long did uh, the process take from first draft through to publication? <laughs> That's quite complicated, actually, right. because <laughs> I started writing this book about eight years ago. Right, and this was, okay. actually the book, this was actually the book that got me my first publishing deal because um, my editor at One More Chapter, she wrote back to me just once I'd subbed it to say, I love your writing, but I don't think I can publish this book. Can you write me another one? Right. So I ended up writing a whole new book for them, which turned out to be something like Happy. Um so, and then this has been through multiple revisions. This was actually the first book I ever wrote. So it's been through, I don't know, 20, 30 revisions. I don't know how many times I've rewritten it. Um, so it's quite hard to say, you know, from that. But I think from the time, it's been quite quick, actually. You know, I, I, I've been querying this book for a long time. And it was actually in July this year, I finally decided 
you know, this is this is what I'm going to do. And then finding an editor and a sensitivity reader. And and, and that's the benefit of self-publishing because you can just, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, what, four months? I would say I might leave a bit longer. It's been quite a, it's been quite a rush. And quite a, you know, because once you, I made the mistake of setting a release date and then obviously you have to work to that. I think <laughs> next time I would probably finish the book and then set a release date. But well, um, we 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 love it. We love a goal on the bestseller experiment, as you know. We love a deadline. So um, <clears throat> I guess yes. I, I mean, did you feel? Did you you know seeing that deadline on the horizon? Did that spur you on each morning to to write and edit and get on with it, or was it was it hanging over you like a sort of, sort of Damocles? I think it's very motivating. I've I've never really had a problem with motivation because I I love writing so much. You know. So it, it's never it's never a problem for me to sit down and and I mean I know a lot of people might open their mouths in horror, but I actually also quite like editing the sort of revision process of revising and and sort of shaping something to make it better. So so yeah, I mean it does. It is very focusing when you count on the number of weeks you've got for something to be finished. Um, but but yeah, no, it can if you if you. If you push yourself too much, it can just get a bit too much, I think. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think I would definitely set myself a bit longer next time. I'm interested to talk to talk about that period between the editor looking at trust and saying, I love it, but it's not for me, you putting it aside, writing something like Happy, and then coming back to trust after that. Did it feel like a very different book? Uh, did you... You know, were you slightly tentative coming back to it to work on it again? I think I would say every no writing's wasted. You know, every time you write, I learned a lot through writing something like Happy. That then, when I came back to look at trust, I could see all the places I'd gone wrong. You know, I could see right. the places where it needed to be tightened up. Where it, you know, and there were actually some quite substantial revisions I did last year during lockdown. Um, I wrote probably about another, I rewrote probably about 30,000 words of it and it made it in, but you know, the stuff I learned while writing my first book, I then took back into the second book. Mm. Um, and I think, yes, you know, I wouldn't have published it when I first was pitching it. Um, but, but yeah, being able to come back with that experience really helped. Was there any was there any one thing in particular, having gone through the experience of something like Happy, that really helped you with trust? Was there one thing that helped get those thirty thousand extra words written? Are you talking about in terms of motivation or well, in just, terms of revising just, things? Yeah, just in terms of um, you've gone through the process with a publisher and an editor, and you came back and what was what was the big lesson that you learned having gone through that process that you took on to trust? I think there was a lot about making a story hang together, you know, sort of looking at it from a critical perspective um, and actually saying, does this story fit? You know, are these characters, um, you know, so that being able to look at things with critical thinking because editors are very good at that. But then I learned a lot about self-editing. So, yeah, actually sketching out, you know, I, I... I actually sketch out thing, the whole story. I write a synopsis so I know that, you know, and then you've got a one-pager mm. of 
does this, what is the story actually about? If you can distill it down to one page, mm. you know, then you know that it's really, you've got a story that hangs together because if you can't describe it in one page, you don't, I always say you don't really know what it's about. You know, if you have to go up to five pages, yeah, you need to be able to, so that really helps sort of that critical self-editing, how to do that because it's also practice. You know, it, it's, if you've done that once then doing it again and getting these strategies, um, you know, everyone has different strategies for, for doing things, but having a strategy to do it, that really helped. Excellent. Well, let's talk about, again, with that looming deadline and having a strategy. What, what are your writing habits? What are the things that help you get through each writing day? Oh, I, I don't, I have to say, I don't write every day. Uh, I tried it, you know. Uh, I think it's always good to try different habits. But um, because I work at a computer, by the time I finish after eight hours of work, I just, I just can't look at a screen. Mm. Um so I tend to, I have Mondays off. I only work four days a week. Um, so run, Monday is my writing day. Right. And I will really sit down like it's a job. You know, if I can work eight hours all the other days, I can work eight hours on my right, writing, right. <laughs> you know. And so that that will be the day when I actually sit down to the computer. And, and, but then during the, the week, I'm sort of thinking about stuff and I might mm. make bits of notes and, you know, so, and I actually found that works really well for me because things percolate during the week. And then I find when I sit on a Monday, I don't think I've ever had writer's block. Right. Because I've been thinking about stuff so much during the week. So, so I found that works really well for me. Do you do that thing of sending yourself messages or jotting things down or do you trust your, your brain, which I can't do? I, I certainly can't trust my brain. So are you able to, to sort of keep it all up there or do you write things down as you, throughout the week? No, no, I definitely write things down. My brain's like a sieve. <laughs> and it's also annoying, you know, because I'll, I'll have something late, an idea late at night and I'll, yes. I'll be like, oh, I'm so tired, I can't be bothered to write it. And then it'll be gone in the morning. So, yep. so I've learned now <laughs> to always keep a notepad handy um, to write things down. Um, but yeah, I do find it's interesting. My, I, I can see my subconscious thinking, about stuff when I'm not even aware I'm thinking about stuff and ideas just kind of pop up. Brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Well, we're recording this on a Monday, so I know I'm eating into your writing day. So uh, let's uh, wrap things up. But I, I'd love to know what's coming next, Sasha. What's the next thing for you? Will you go down the traditional route again or will you go down the indie route? What's uh, coming on the horizon for you? I think I I got another book planned. I've, I've almost finished it. I'm just revising um, a decent first draft and and that should hopefully be out next year um I think after that it's going to be a bit of an experiment because um obviously I can't keep funding depends on how the books do and mm -hmm. I can't keep funding self-publishing forever um but so yeah it will depend very much on how trust does as a book and um so I'm just playing things by ear at the moment but I think yeah I've definitely got another book um, and then I've got a top secret thing, hopefully for 2023, which, Ooh. which um, I'm very excited about, but I don't want to tell anyone <laughs> because <laughs> I'm sitting on it for a while. So I don't know. That could be again, either self-published or, you know, it's something I could definitely pitch to an agent. So, so we'll just see. I'm playing by ear really. Oh, we love top secret things. Wonderful stuff. Keep us, keep, keeps us on TED Talks. Uh, Sasha, thank you so much for uh, talking to us today. Wishing you every luck with Trust, which is out today, folks. So grab your copy now and uh, hope to speak to you again soon. 
Thank you very much for having me. Do you know, it always amazes me just how incredibly brave and courageous many, many writers are when they, I mean, you know, there we were thinking, what should we write about? And we wrote this kind of light heart. I mean, it got deep, but we we had a lot of fun and we it was a really enjoyable process. But when I hear stories like Sasha, it really blows me away because, I mean, what a journey to to bring yourself through and and how interesting a kind of reflection she must have as a writer, you know, talking to these people and finding out about all their incredible challenges. And so, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just blown away by, by the bravery of so many writers. And I know there's a lot of you out there as well, doing very, very similar types of work. And, and you are incredible people that you're actually tackling that stuff because you're helping so many other people who read your work. It's quite, it's quite mind blowing, isn't it, Mark? Well, what that kind of writing does is it, either lets people who have endured these terrible things it lets them know they're not alone yes and you know uh or if you've not been through these terrible things it opens your eyes to someone else's experience in a way that's very moving and enlightening uh, and that's what good storytelling is all about you know and yeah. um sasha is not someone to sort of do do things by halves you know she did she did her due diligence. She, you know, she dug into these very difficult subjects. So, yeah, we always salute authors like that. It's um, it's 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 you know, this is why we write. You know, to it's the human experience in all in all shapes and sizes, albeit silly tri- time travel stories or looking into you know. But you know, I, I think if you can move someone. And when I say move someone, I'm not just talking about making them cry. There, there always seems to be some added value to making someone cry, which is why, you know, the Oscar winners at the movies are the ones who do the dramas. It's very rare you get an Oscar winner for a comedy. And mm. if anything, that's harder, you know. But if you can move someone, yeah, thrill them, make them laugh, make them cry, any kind of, you know, emotional connection, then as far as I'm concerned, it's 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 job done. Uh, I, I had a tweet the other day. Someone said to me they're a third of the way through the new book and they were crying. And I was like, yes. You know, so. <laughs> yeah. I actually remember people saying that, saying that about, the coming towards the end of back to reality oh, as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. It had yeah. quite an impact on them. And I think that I think I always think tears uh tears are watering the soul. It's kind of like a way in which we allow, especially men, when men cry, I mean we go into that, but um this idea that um allowing yourself to be so moved or connected with a character, even, you know, a fictitious character in many cases, but often representing a real life person or an avatar of many people who are out there experiencing what this character is experiencing. But having that connection that you can move someone where they can, they need to express their sadness or joy, you know, in tears is is like you say, it's probably one of the most incredible things because when we, we've always talked about this idea of um, a powerful, impactful story is something that moves people. And I always talk about this emotion, right? Emotion, it's about motion, moving people emotionally. And and really, um, I think you're absolutely right, Mark. I think if, I mean, not that we as authors go out of our way to try and make our readers cry all the time. I mean, first of all, if you're reading the paperback, it would ruin the book. But, but I think it's incredible. <laughs> it's an incredible thing um, as an author to actually hear that you've moved someone to tears. And it's also, I think, a very important um, validation as a writer that you have the power in your words to move someone to that place. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but I think as well, I think that for me, the, the big kind of takeaway is this idea 
like you say, Mark, of people who who have a, who who maybe are currently experiencing something that that character is going through. Because when people are in a, the real pit of despair in their life, they do feel this incredible, intense loneliness. And to be able to read about someone and just be able to relate in any way to their story can give you hope. It can give you strength. And like you say, it can tell you that you're not alone. So I want to say to anyone out there right now listening to this, and we've had some incredible stories of people who have used this podcast to get through hard times. But if you are listening to us and we are your kind of community, we're helping you through those kind of dark days. I want you to know that um, I want to give you my favorite quote. My favorite, I shared this, this, this week, actually, with somebody who wrote to me about this. It was funny how it all ties in. But my favorite quote in the world that I always live by is, behind the clouds, the sun is always shining. So behind the clouds, the sun is always shining. So what we sometimes see in our life are these, these dark, sometimes really dark skies, and there's no sun anywhere, and everything feels horrible and depressed and awful. And yet, and yet those clouds, even if they don't appear to be, they're moving, they're transitory. Those clouds will eventually go and the sun will come back out. Um, So I just wanted to put that out there today because it's been one of those weeks where I've been talking to quite a few people who are really struggling. And I don't know if it's the time of year or the, you know, the stuff going on with COVID and the desperation, but I think there's a lot of this out there. I don't know if you're feeling that mark at your end, are you? Yeah, you know, uh, shorter, darker days. And of course, yes, the sun does shine until in about 5 billion years, it consumes the earth and the whole solar system. But, you know, we don't have to worry about that quite yet. (laughs) Sleep tight, listeners. I thought we were meant to be an inspiring podcast. At least we can write about it, right? But also, we've got our, our friends in the in you know in the southern hemisphere where they're just coming into summer, and they're probably yeah. Like, what are you talking good about, time, mate? It's great yeah. down here. But like, like absolutely, like I know, I love accents, I love accents. But the um, yeah, the, the whole point is is that I want people to know that they're not alone. And and going back to you know the reason why Sasha writes is I really think is to help those people. To, and and the other thing to say as well that's really important is a lot of people that write about this, and obviously I don't, you know, I'm not going to go into and, and, and assume this is in Sasha's situation, but the reason why a lot of people can write about this is they've also experienced things in their own life. They can write with authenticity and it's partly what draws them to that. And so for writers who are going through difficult times right now, coming out of those depressions, um, anxieties, challenges, bankruptcies, whatever it might be for you right now. I want you to know that you will prove to yourself that you are stronger than you are, you will ever know by being able to pull yourself out of the pit of where you are right now. And more importantly, as importantly, I should say, as you have the strength to come out of that, that valley of like despair and darkness, you are going to be able to help other people because of what you've managed to do to get to, you know, to get yourself out of it. You, 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 you build muscles when you have to pull yourself out of a hole and you will be able to help other people. Now you might help people directly in the future and say to them, I know exactly what you're like. I was in, you know, incredible depression in my, you know, twenties or whatever. And, you know, there's hope I, I got through it and this is what I did. But more, another route I think it might happen is through your words in the book that you write. Right, so you might end up writing about this journey, and books can save lives. Books can change people's perspective. It can be that aha wake up moment where they think, 
I never thought of it like that before. And so what you're experiencing right now, if you are experiencing challenges, it might be part of your bigger journey in which you go back out into the world when you're ready or you're able to, and you can share those incredible experiences, those difficult experiences, and tell people that they can also make it through. And I think that's that's why I love what Sasha's doing because people who read that, like how many lives are going to be saved by the books that she writes? Well, I mean, she'll never know, we'll never know. But I guarantee you it's happening all the time because we know how powerful books are. Gosh, we got very deep all of a sudden, haven't we? Well, yeah, I think it's, uh, but it's, but it's the, I remember when we did some episodes on mental health and I remember just how, you know, there's a, there's a silent majority out there. Like we, we get all the great stories of the successes and, and we're so grateful for those, but the silent majority often are there struggling through, you know, their trials. And, and I think writing really does, you know, it really, it really does test people to their kind of like extremes in some ways. Um, as well as heal them and help them share some of the burden of what they've experienced. I always think journaling is one of the most powerful things we can do about our own lives. I think it's a really incredible way of getting stuff out of our head and getting onto paper. And I sometimes think of writing a book as kind of, you know, almost like sometimes a disguised journal hidden, you know, your, your moments of fears and challenges yeah. are kind of like weaved but, through some of your characters and it's a way of releasing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think any you're always putting your head over the parapet of any, any kind of fiction. You, if if you put your you know your heart and soul into it, I think people will know it. And again, that applies as much to fantastical works and comedy works and romantic works, no matter how light and fluffy they are. I think you know you're still putting your yourself into it, and um, people know the readers know when it's real, and they know when it's you know yes put on. And I think being yeah. being real about again, that's why Sasha does that that research and and sensitivity readers and due diligence and that kind of thing. People know when it's being faked. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's about being authentic, isn't it? And the thing I love about fiction in particular is that you can. It'd be very hard for some people to kind of write a, a life story or a challenge that they had and, and like speak in the first person of their, their direct experiences. And there are plenty of books out there that do that. But I think for a lot of people, that's just not something they want to kind of like lay out onto the table. But by being able to kind of use um, using characters and different flaws in characters to kind of represent some of our own personal flaws, because we all have them. Um, I think it's a very powerful way of doing that. But um, one other thing, Mark, that I, I found fantastic was Lizzie's, uh, uh, Sasha's attitude towards um, Mondays. The fact that she yeah. she takes Monday off. I mean, she says I take a, uh, each Monday off, but doesn't really because what she said was brilliant. She said, I'm working Tuesday to Friday, full working days, eight hour days. And so she she treats her Monday as a working day as a writer. Yeah, I think that's yeah. such a powerful way to look at your writing isn't it yeah if you're lucky to have that extra day of the week if if you're not though you know then it's the night job i mean we had um i think it was katie khan a couple of weeks ago saying that you know she had the day job and the night job and i know that can feel uh, a bit overwhelming um if you're thinking blimey i'll give everything i've got to the day job how can i find extra time but then i you know it, it is it is a job we've 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 heard this again and again from the very i mean i remember the um mark huckabee nick osler uh, episode which was very early on in the podcast where they said it's a job 
You know, you have to sit down and 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 get on with it. Um, and it it's uh, I think if you if you have that attitude and get your head down and get the words down, then I think perseverance counts for a lot. But having that professional attitude and and you just look at what happened with um, Sasha's book. You know, what's fascinating is that trust was the book that got her an editing deal. It wasn't published by that editor. Something like Happy was the book that was published. Um, but it got her foot in the door. And I think one of the things that's very difficult for writers when they're starting out is understanding that the blood, sweat and tears that you do put into this book here might not be the one that gets out into the world. It might be the next one or the one after that or, or the one after that. I mean, you know, it's not uncommon for authors to write five, six, seven books before they're published, which is really difficult to hear. But that perseverance counts for an, an awful lot. So, um, you know, you've, uh, you've you've just got to keep on writing. You've just got to keep going. In fact, weirdly enough, just this morning, I was going through files and there's a book I wrote just a few years ago. Not part, No one's interested. And there's me looking at thinking, you know, all of those mornings sitting down writing, but I learned so much doing that book. So much doing that. Mm. And there's also a part of me thinking, you know what? I could self-publish it. You know, I don't know when, but there, mm. there is always that option, which Sasha has done here. You know, it's, uh, you know, she was told by publishers and editors that they love the book, but they didn't think they could sell it. So she's put it out there herself because it's so important to her. The the themes and ideas in this are clearly so important to her that she, she wants to get it out there. And now it is, and now the whole world can enjoy it. So, um, yeah, mm. it's, uh, the opportunities are there, but yeah, the, treating it like a job, treating it like a profession. It's, it's that interesting balance, which I think Sasha has in that she can take the deeply personal, but then she did refer to it as a product. You know, she she can put that kind of marketing professional head on, the hat on, and uh, and and think of it in that way. So it's um, no one's. I don't think anyone's going to pretend that it's easy. You know, uh, you do have to show up uh, every day, <laughs> or pretty much every day, um, and it can take years. If I had a magic wand, if I had a magic wand right now, wish I could wave it and show every single listener of the bestseller experiment their their journey their life and how it all pans out so they go oh bloody hell really so that book that first book i wrote was just my you know just me learning 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 something i needed to learn in order to write that amazing second book or fifth book or whatever it might be and the thing is is because we're this side of that journey we never know we never know how our story is going to pan out but so many examples of that we've heard over the years, Mark. I mean, a classic one was Joan Harris, where she talked about, you know, she found her voice in her third book. Chocolat mm. happened to then be hugely successful and million seller, but it took her those two other books. And I know that without those two other books, she would never have written Chocolat. Probably similar with you, Mark. You know, that book that you wrote is now part of your personal writing journey. And it, and you wouldn't, you might, you might not have a three book deal with Simon and Schuster if it wasn't for that book because it played no, a role. No question. No question. Right. Yeah, I mean, there's um, weirdly as well. There's uh, a script that I've been working on for about twelve or thirteen years. Mm. Been banging my head against the script <laughs> for all that time. Not quite right. Not quite right. And just this week, we've got not one but two producers interested in it. <laughs> 
Brilliant. You know, it's uh, it, it, these things, they don't go away, you know? It's That's interesting, isn't it? I've got a very bizarre, similar story, but in the music world where we had, we'd recorded this track called, um, uh, what was it? which one was it now? I have to remember now, there's too many of them. But we recorded this track and there was something that just wasn't clicking about it for the first album. We just couldn't work out. It was something that both both me and Ian, who I write with, it was like, we just couldn't work it out. And and in the end, it didn't make the cut of the first album. And then we, it was, but you know that there's something special about something yeah. that you've written or created because you, it, it, you keep coming back to it and you keep looking at it in a different angle and you think, what's wrong with this? Why can't, and like, is it just like an angle that you're looking at and you turned it slightly. And we originally, we eventually worked out what was bugging us and it's that we couldn't actually hear the lyric properly in the chorus. Something really basic, just like, <laughs> what, what, what is that? What did, what was that lyric? We can't even wait. So it sounds like, so we got it re-recorded. We had the vocalist come back in and we re-recorded it and it just, it just worked. And we stuck that track out there on the second album with, you know, I was just, I was just really happy just to get it out there. Cause I thought it's just sitting on a hard drive and I love this song. And it was that track that ended up ending, ending up on a Brazilian TV show as a theme to 30 million people a night and yeah. ended up getting me my Warner publishing deal. Wow. So you just, and if I had, if we hadn't have gone back to that one track and fixed it or worked out what was wrong with it, none of that would have happened. None of it would have happened. And so you just don't know, folks. You just, you can't say just because someone's turned your book down or this book doesn't feel right. You, there's a reason why that book or that piece of writing exists in your life right now. And sometimes it's going to be the great mystery in your life and you might not work it out till the end of your life or you might never work it out, but know that every single time you sit down to write, it's part of your journey. It's part of your fate towards whatever happens within your writing. So embrace, embrace it. Like, like be grateful for all the bad stuff you've ever written because <laughs> it's got you to the good stuff or it's getting you to the good stuff or the better stuff. So yeah, Very it's true. kind of a cool, it's a really cool way of looking at the world because I think we can get too... Writers can get too hard on themselves and too down on themselves. And I think it's really important to just look at it more on a, the fascination and the marvel. Look at it like kids always look at the world when they're discovering the world. I mean, you know, I remember taking my little, you know, my little three-year-old for a walk to post a letter. And literally we crossed the road, got onto the pavement, and we went over one of those manhole covers. And there was a, the little, do you know the manhole covers in England? They've got the little divots in yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they always yeah. collect like bits of gravel and stuff. Well, my little daughter decided <laughs> in that moment, she squatted down in a little kind of wellies. It was raining as well. So I wanted to get there and back as quick as possible. <laughs> she squatted down and she just got fascinated by these little bits of gravel in this little, and I just thought, and I was getting really frustrated. It's like, come on, come on, we've got to get. And I stopped and went, no, hang on a minute. I need to learn from her. She's like looking at this and she's fascinated by the world around us because it's all new to her. I, I completely, you know, we take everything for granted that we have around us. We look at all the problems in the world. We never look at all the amazing things in the world. And I just thought, you know what? This is her teaching me to stop and look at the world and say, wow, isn't this brilliant? Like, like it, what is this thing? Manhole cover, bits of gravel, leaves on a tree. <laughs> It's like when you go to the beach and they bring home half the bloody beach with them. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Oh my god! Rocks in the side. You know, I realised what the side pockets in car doors are. It's for collecting all the crap that kids pick up. I'm not kidding you. The other day, I I I was going through 
um, I think doing some stuff and I found like an old school bag of my daughter's from about two years ago. They were like electronic. She must have found some smashed up iPhone. Some. There were bits of electronic circuitry. Oh. <laughs> like, what is this? Bits and pieces. But we all did it. It's part of our fascination. We were going to build a rocket ship with it one day, weren't we? Never quite, <laughs> never quite panned out. But yeah, I feel for all the quite. all the young parents. It's a bit sticky about plastic. Yeah, I don't miss those days of wondering what to do with the, that that shell collection, uh, the, the third shell collection yeah. from the beach in the in the bucket in the garage that sat there for four years. Right, brilliant stuff. But Mark, we've got some really yes. fun stuff to, yes. to talk about as well, haven't we? Because we have another spotlight. Uh, we this is a new feature Woo-hoo. that we have for members of the academy that we are shining a light on people that we're looking at in the, the bestseller academy and going wow there is some amazing things happening and this week this week we have an amazing spotlight um, by Denise Denise McGahan and she is right she's is writing her debut novel in the academy isn't she Mark yeah um I've been lucky enough to have a one-to-one with Denise on the Academy and I've uh, looked at part of her book and she's a terrific writer. She's really, really good. Um, Denise says, I'm a reader. That sums me up. I now consider myself a writer thanks to the Academy. Writing is my happiest place to be. Before the Academy, I was never quite sure what to do with the output. I wrote my first novel, seven pages long and a little knows the caveman fan fiction when I was eight. I've written journals since I was 14. I've countless notebooks, back of fag baggets, etc., full of hastily scribbled vignettes and sketches. My genre is contemporary women's fiction. I wrote the ghosts of three half novels before the Academy helped me finish my fourth. My first complete precious novel is called Alice Larson and Here's the Blurb. So 50-year-old dreamer Alice has been living on autopilot for decades. Her best friend calls it hiding in plain sight. When her husband Jack finally walks out on her, Alice is devastated. Determined to win him back, she embarks on a project to reinvent herself and finds inspiration from the unlikeliest of places. She turns to those goddesses of the silver screen, Garbo, Gardner and Bergman, who materialise as figments of her overactive imagination. Through their guidance, Alice discovers that life has a funny way of showing us the person we were meant to be. And Denise goes on, she said, it's about how a woman finds herself and creates a handmade life that makes her happy. This is a topic that fascinates me. I'm always rolling it around like a smooth pebble in my pocket. I'm currently writing a nonfiction book called Anthology about what makes for an abundant life after 50. Fantastic. It's quite now there's a story story behind Denise, because I remember chatting with Denise when she was contemplating joining the Academy. And Denise epitomizes <laughs> every mother out there in the world. Denise didn't have time to write, or she wasn't able to put her writing um in any kind of priority over all the many things that she had to do as a as an incredibly caring dedicated and loving mum, which which mums just are. They just have this natural caring instinct. They always put themselves in front of, they always put their kids and their spouses and their family and their work in front of their own passions. They always put themselves at the back of the queue. And I convinced, literally convinced Denise, I said, you need to do this. Join the Academy. It will give you the reason to write. And I am absolutely blown away by what she's created. I've actually re- read the first, she's put her beta, um, beta, she's been looking for beta readers on the Academy. For, um, we've got a number of people reading the book for her currently. And I've read, I've read the first part of the book and I just, the first 
like within the first three or four pages, I I just said to myself, this is the real It's extraordinary, deal. isn't it? It's yeah, brilliant. It really and here's the thing. So what we're doing with Spotlight is we want to highlight authors who, you know, are on their way to, you know, bestseller them potentially. And the reason we're doing this Spotlight for Denise is Denise is looking for an agent. So if you are an agent, you know, lots of agents listen to this podcast. If you like the sound of that blurb and you are interested in finding more about uh, Denise and her book, then contact us. Um, it's very early stages for, you know, uh, Denise is still getting a website up and running. So contact us, come to the website, bestsellerexperiment.com and go to the contact form and drop us your name and address and we will connect you with Denise so you can have a chat. But I have always had this most incredible feeling about Denise and her work. And I think we will look back on this episode in years to come, Mark, um, and we'll say, hmm, funny how things have turned out, Right. Um, so congratulations to Denise for, for actually getting that book finished because this has been a huge, huge year for her to actually get to that place in the academy where she's she's had the she's given herself the time to do it. She's been inspired by the amazing community around her in the academy. And we couldn't be more proud of you, Denise, for 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 getting to this place with your book. And I'm for one Mark and I are both so excited to see what happens next. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Denise goes on. She says, "My favourite writers are Dickens, Anne Patchett, Alice Munro, Jeanette Winterson, Kate Grenville, John Irving, Nora Ephron, and Theodore Zeldin, though not necessarily in that order." She says, uh, "I'm trotting out my somewhat flaky credentials for your approval. I flinch when I read about writers who say they were born to write. It makes me feel like a muddle. I've taken." the meandering route in my writing career, but I've always subscribed to Angelica Houston's view that we come into our power at different times in our life and I'm enjoying the ride. I mean, just Fantastic. ties into what we were saying earlier, wasn't it? You know, Absolutely. Um, yeah. So yeah. now just to dovetail and back to back this, because this is the most incredible story that we got this week from a listener of our show and a patron of our show. So Mark, let's, let's just tell tell the world another incredible bestseller experiment story that, that we heard about this week. <clears throat> we got a lovely email from Lizzie Pook. And Lizzie got in touch. She said, dear, the two marks, after lots of umming and ahhing and working up the nerve to get in touch, I'd love to share some good news with you both. My debut novel, Moonlight and the Perler's Daughter, is being published next year. I'm a long-term listener of the podcast, as in I started listening before the Aronovich mauling. <laughs> I like it's that. a mauling now, yeah. It's officially a benchmark. <laughs> and she says, I'm also a Patreon supporter. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Uh, over the past few years, I've been working on my debut novel uh, with the podcast as my constant companion during long walks, brainstorming session, dark nights of the soul, and general ups and downs that come with trying to write a book. It was a long old slog, but last year, the book sold at auction in the UK and in Germany and via a preempt in Australia, the US and Canada. It will be published globally with Pam McMillan, Simon & Schuster and Penguin Random House <laughs> Australia. I really, that's, I just... <laughs> this I mean, is really incredible. It's astonishing. So really, I just want to get in touch to say thank you sincerely for being the community I was too scared to go out and find in person. Lots of the book writing took place over lockdown while my husband and I were staying in my mum's attic bedroom and long walks with the podcast were my main source of comfort as the world turned to mush around us. Uh, thank you again. Keep up the brilliant work. Uh, we listeners are very grateful to have you. Now, uh, Lizzie's book, um, Moonlight and the Perler's Daughter, which is a gorgeous cover, is coming in March of 2022. Uh, we've scheduled an interview with Lizzie 
uh, just around about the time of publication. So we're going to hear more of Lizzie's story in full on a very special episode next year. But that, those, you know, those emails are why we do why we do this podcast it's just astonishing absolutely i mean massive massive congratulations lizzie and thank you for again being another hugely inspiring author to show everyone else the way and and i actually went to the the, the official press release mark about her book and it says just to kind of like like go a bit deep on this she said uh, um beverly cousins at random house penguin random house australia acquired anz Rights. That's Australia, New Zealand. New Zealand yeah, yeah. Um, in a six-figure preempt. So that's just that's just Australia, New Zealand, <laughs> and joint North American rights um, uh, for Simon and Schuster, respectively, in another six-figure deal. And then it nice. talks about Germany. Have already been uh, German deals been sold to Penguin Random House in a deal, another deal. This, I mean, folks, this is the most. Inc- I mean, you stand back and look at this, Mark. Though, I mean, the 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 number of major traditional publishing deals that, that that Lizzie's landed for her first, this is a debut novel as well. Um, mm. Utterly mind-blowing. So folks, you've heard it first. Remember the name Lizzie Pook. I'm, you will be going to be interviewing her in the new year. She's a long-term listener to the podcast and we can't wait for one to find out more about her journey and uh, to inspire you further. But this is why, this is the other reason we do what we do because this happens. And you can always keep the dream alive when you hear of these stories. So congratulations, Lizzie. And thank you so much for reaching out and telling us your story. Do you want, do you want more good news, Mr. D? Oh, I don't news? know if I can handle it. Can I, oh, is there more yes, good news? There's more good news. Let's go, go to social go media. Let's me go to social it. media. And we do that well. Natalie Perry, uh, another Patreon supporter, someone who's, who's in the BXP group uh, on Facebook. Natalie Perry says, uh, and Natalie, I've got to say, if you go back and listen to the Scooby Conference, which is the Society of Writers and Illust- Children's Writers and Illustrators, Natalie babysat me that day. That's when this all started. And I remember chatting to Natalie and she was telling me that, you know, she's an illustrator and an author. And again, it was just a dream, you know, just one of these things. It might happen one day. Well, Natalie got in touch. She said, uh, I got longlisted for the amazing Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators Undiscovered Voices competition. I'm so excited. And just being longlisted is an honor and a great opportunity. I've already had some industry interest from the competition, so I'm super happy. Huge thank you to the Best Seller Experiment for all the knowledge you put out there, the encouragement, motivation, and support. It really helps me with my writing. So, Natalie, absolutely over the moon for you. That's brilliant, Natalie. So, such wonderful news. And then uh, on Twitter, uh, Jackie Dispenza, who is at Jackie, and that's J A C Q U I E, Dispenza. Uh, She got in touch. Uh, She's got a book coming out. She's got a book coming out. She's, and Jackie, uh, she says, "I, I did a thing. It took longer than I planned, but my 200 words a day habit really paid off. And my book is going through one last round of editing before going out into the world. And she was just sharing cover ideas. The book is called The Shadow Dreams. It's a paranormal thriller, and it's about a 16 year old who has psychic dreams and has to prevent a murder. And it looks absolutely amazing. So, Jackie, huge huge congratulations on that and let us know when it's out uh, and published and we'll we'll give it a uh, bang the drum again fantastic jackie that's great i tell you what mark i mean it just it just blows me away all this good news it just seems to be building every single week you got more i've got more come on then keep it coming keep it coming (laughs) our old friend penilla hughes 
uh, again, another bestseller experiment uh, supporter and, you know, uh, author. Who, and again, one of those listeners who, you know, listened to the podcast, got published. Well, she's uh, she's got a new deal. She's got another new deal. So she's got a new book coming out called 10 Years, which has been pitched as P.S. I Love You meets Sally Thorne's The Hating Game. And uh, she's not only sold the rights in the UK, but she sold the rights in Germany as well. Uh, and she says there was a bidding war between two German publishers and the winners were DTV, who, funnily enough, are the publishers of my old A-level German dictionary. Surely this must be fate. <laughs> oh, what a brilliant connection. <laughs> Who knew, right? Who but knew? Yeah, this was, um, it was it was announced at the Frankfurt Book Fair in October. Wow. It's been in the bookseller. Um, so huge, huge congratulations on that, Panilla. Uh, uh, so, yeah, that's fantastic. Brilliant. And wow. our old friend Mark, Mark Hood, um, you know, we had him on the Academy All-Stars episode recently talking about his incredible writing streak. He hit 700 days the other day. <laughs> so I think he's on 701 or 702. Just astonishing. Do check out our Academy All-Stars episode with Mark Hood. We've had such great feedback about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if you would like to be sprinkled then, with the fairy dust, I was going to say, because all of these people <laughs> that you're talking, Mark, they all seem to be uh, supporters of the podcast. So if, if maybe that's yeah. the conne- maybe Funny that's that. the connection. Should yeah. we not be like saying that yeah. actually it seems to be a link? So if you want to support the podcast, like all these amazing people we're talking about, um, we haven't mentioned the URL yet to all our new listeners. It's simply bestsellerexperiment.com forward slash support. Mm. And just at the other end, at the other end of the thing, I had a lovely tweet from Matt, uh, who is at MattTheNov on Twitter. He says, for anyone attempting this NaNoWriMo malarkey, I think the 200 words a day approach is ultimately a far more likely route to completing that first novel. But best of British, whatever you decide. So, yes, thanks for that, Matt. um, I mean, Jackie... She told us the 200 words a day thing helped. Uh, Penilla, when I was following up, I said to Penilla, oh, can we mention this in the podcast? And she was like, yeah, and the 200 word day thing helped her as well. Oh, um, fantastic. It works. It yeah. really, really works. Slow and steady wins the race, right? But, you know, if you can do yeah. NaNoWriMo and the 200-word challenge, then that's, like, superhuman. Brilliant. <laughs> but uh, don't burn yourself out, folks. That's all I'll say. If you're doing NaNoWriMo, stick, stick with it if you can. But... 200 word challenge is always there as well if if you want to just you know reduce that daily count and do it over a year rather than in a month which is you know works for some people and uh i'm really glad to hear that a lot of people are still using it you know on a regular basis and it's resulting in these books getting published as well and, and these these book deals happening as well which is fantastic stuff wow well congratulations to everyone out there and if you have any incredible news like the news that we've talked about today and you've been hiding your light under a bushel come and tell us we want to hear these stories because we love a good success story we love a good kind of uh you know i was down down and out and then this happened heard someone on the podcast it changed my life let us know because we want to tell the word world and if you don't want us to tell the world we get that just let us know in the email don't read this out on air you can still let me and mark know and we will, <laughs> we will try to respond to you as we do with every email that we get so thank you to everyone who spent the time to to write you know and document what's happening in their life because it's so much fun running alongside you all and uh yeah so mr stay you must have a uh as always a very busy week coming up no doubt do do we dare do we dare talk about who we're going to have next on the show because we haven't <laughs> recorded it yet do we do we dare 
Come on, let's just let's just be bold and just make an apology if it doesn't happen. But go on, yeah. go on, yeah, give yeah, them a little yeah. preview. For all these people that have stayed with us right to the end of this podcast, all the other people who've like disappeared off. Yeah, this is their treat. This is your yeah. little treat. Um, returning guest, the one, the only, the legendary Mr. Michael Connolly is coming on the show. Uh, and not just ten minutes in the back of a car between interviews. This, this is you know, <laughs> this is proper. We're gonna get, we're gonna, yeah, proper stuff. And Mr. D will be joining me, and we'll all be chatting together. And uh, if you are a Patreon, and if you are a member of the Academy, we've put word out said send us your questions. So you know, it's one of those little perks you get. You get to ask the big guests the special questions that you've always wanted to ask. So um, yeah, Absolutely. so join us next week for wait. that. Absolutely brilliant. Man's so, yeah, legend. fantastic. And, and thank you for staying to the end of the podcast. And it's just our little secret, so don't tell anyone else. Well, yeah, you can let them know. <laughs> um, but I'd also like to remind everyone as well, if you are interested in starting uh, the beginning of 2022 as the best year of your writing life yet, then come and join us at the Academy. Uh, the doors are now open. You've got until mid-December to get in under the early bird entry. So get in, get your applications in and uh, mid-December um, and uh, come with Mark and I on this journey where we will kind of inspire you, guide you and the whole academy will inspire and guide you and help you get that book written and not just that book but the best book you've ever written. We can't guarantee that obviously but I'd say generally that's kind of what's happening <laughs> um, because you know it's it's about finding that community to help you through the, the trials and the struggles and the highs and the lows. Um, so come and celebrate with us um, this incredible journey of writing, which is really what this is all about. Um, so get your applications in. It's bestseller. Uh, it's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. So that's academy.bestsellerexperiment.com. And Mark, if people want to get hold of us, drop us email or say hi on socials. Yeah, go to bestsellerexperiment.com. There's a contact tab there. Or find us on Facebook, Bestseller Experiment. Twitter and Instagram, we're at bestsellerxp. And as always, please leave a rating on your podcast catcher of choice. Those ratings make all the difference. They make us visible to other writers who, you know, again, might be a bestseller out there. Uh, and uh, yeah, a thank you as always to our editors, Dave and JD excellent and thank you to all of you for listening it's been a long one today i'm just looking at the clock there bloody hell <laughs> but thank you for joining us and we're glad to be a part of your life in whatever context washing up running running kids to school gardening or just having a break and giving yourself a little bit of time off to uh, to get re-inspired with your writing and on that note it's a goodbye from mark one and a goodbye from mark two goodbye, goodbye.